I think it's very important, as we spoke about in the Psalms, that we really recognize the season of life we're in because there's different seasons of life and, and the weather's different and things happen when it comes to circumstances in our life. And so today I want to talk about being in a season of gratitude. I love one of my favorite things as a pastor is to see testimonies. How many people love testimony Sunday or testimony night? That's one of the best times to be a pastor. It's one of the best times to be a Christian. We get to really see. Sarah, do you mind shutting that door back there when you get a chance? You get to really see people recount the wonderful deeds of God in their life. What God has done, where he has taken them from, and those kind of things. There's a sense of gratitude. If you don't come out of Testimony Sunday with a sense of gratitude, you're not understanding the gospel. Who gets up here during the testimony and says, God saved me and I'm really miserable about it. I got a lot to complain about when it comes to my testimony. Everyone gets up here with a sense of gratitude, recounting what God has done and where he has brought us all from. So I want everyone to realize that every morning, every day, every night should be testimony day. Every day. I'm going to live my life as a living testimony to people of what God's done for me. Of what he's done for me. So we're going to read Psalm 9. If you can turn there, you can read up here with me. In Psalm 9 it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, given righteous judgment. You have rebuked nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them perished, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Afflicted, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughters of Zion I may rejoice in your salvations. Salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own feet have been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. The wicked shall not shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. David was not a pansy songwriter. Does anyone read that psalm and think there's some pansy stuff going on there? This is a man writing lyrics to a song with passion, with a warrior-like mentality. And you would think that David wrote this psalm 
when everything was going good in his life, right? Because many of you guys thought, man, a season of gratitude, we're going to just talk about being thankful all the time. Think positive. No. He's afflicted right now. He says, be gracious to me, O God, because I'm afflicted. Yet the whole psalm, psalm is of thanksgiving and praise. And this is an important thing I want us to hear with the season of gratitude. Because some of us, when we thought we're talking about season of gratitude, we're thinking everything's going right, and I'm just thanking God. Got what I want? Woo! Prayer answered. Love it. Like, we're just like, everything is so good right now. I'm just thankful. I'm grateful. Yay. It's not that. The season of gratitude happens the moment you're saved and overlaps every other season of your life. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? The season, we can have th something to be thankful for every single season of our life. So, for example, you're going through a season of trial. And Amber posted on the city this week. You're going through a season of trial. A lot of trials. It seems like you're getting tested around every corner. You're just getting up like, where's the test at? Trials, 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 trials. What do we thank God? Why is that a season of gratitude? Because we thank God that he's building perseverance in us. You cannot be a faithful proclaimer of the gospel. You cannot bring glory to God unless you have perseverance. Because things are going to happen in your life, you're going to want to give up every day. When you're really going forward with God, when I'm really pushing, there's a, time, a moment of every day I feel like giving up. Every day. There's a moment I said, man, there's got to be an easier path than this. There's gotta, that's he said, deny yourself and follow me. He calls us to die every single morning. To die to ourselves and live for the glory of God in the proclamation and advancement of the gospel. Be thankful for that. Do you guys see that right there? In a season of rejection, what can we be thankful for in a season of rejection? Are we just going to mope around? Okay, it's a season of rejection. I'm going to complain for the next five months. No. What do we think? We talked about it last week. We thank God that he has allowed us to be rejected so that we can identify with his son Jesus. Now I can partake of his sufferings. Now I can know my Savior more. Now I can empathize and know Jesus more. So it's, at that season of gratitude overlaps that season of rejection. So from the moment we're saved, we're living in a season of gratitude. David is afflicted. And what does he say? He says, I'm going to recount the wonderful deeds of God. I'm going to recount and sing praises to God. Now, everyone know the story of Paul and Silas? They're in jail. They're shackled up. They're being persecuted in the gospel. Now, what do we do in that situation? You're from Boston. They shackle you up. They throw you in jail. And they're not treating you kind. Who's singing? Who's the first thing that came to your mind is singing, thank God? No. Thank you for being honest, everybody. Because that's not what we think of. Paul and Silas worship God while they're chained up in shackles for the gospel because they're thankful that they can suffer for the advancement of the most important thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that amazing? Do you guys see that picture? The season of gratitude overlaps every season of our life because God is in control of the weather. God is in control of the weather. How many people realize you cannot stop the weather? How many people tried to stop the fall? It didn't work, did it? It's cold. You can't do anything. I don't care how much you stand out there. I don't care how many complaints go on. I don't care how much you say it's New England. It's, it's fall in the morning, winter at night, summer during the day. You know, we get all these seasons kind of in one day, right? You can't stop the weather. 
You've got to learn to adapt and enjoy God in every season because God controls the weather of your life. I need people to hear the sovereignty because we don't have a theology of suffering that helps us, we think, and I said this last week, but I want to keep hitting this because this is grained in our mind. We think that when we go through tough seasons that we've done something wrong and God does not love us anymore. We say to ourselves, I must have done something wrong if I'm experiencing pain right now. When that's not the truth in reality, God has brought rejection, he has brought trial, he has brought suffering, and he will teach you through the power of the Holy Spirit how to be thankful and, and grateful during those seasons because all those seasons have a purpose that making you more like Jesus and teaching you how to know God and making you a strength to others. Okay, so David says, I'm going to recount the wonderful deeds of God. I want you guys to think of this in two ways, because this is the first thing. To enjoy this season of gratitude that happens at the moment of your salvation, you've got to learn how to recount the wonderful deeds of God. We know how to recount the bad things, don't we? We give the list. Do you ever get the list? If you're married, you get the list once in a while, right? This is going wrong. Number two, this is horrible. Number three, I'm still mad about number one. That's the list. I'm recounting the horrible deeds of my life. And this person should have treated me that way. I should have a promotion. That's recounting the horrible deeds of our life. We do it the wrong way. What we're supposed to be doing is recounting the wonderful deeds of God. Jesus saved me. I don't deserve it. He provided for me. He gave me a husband. He gave me a wife. He gave me a job. He gave me a church that loves me. He gave me the gospel. Like, that should just like, bing, you can't stop. You'll be there all day. We got to recount the wonderful deeds of God. And so I want to think in two categories, <coughs> historically and personally. Because too many times in our individual society, <coughs> we get trapped in this narcissistic box. Like, religion's about me. <laughs> Church is all about me. Serve me, love me. Like, what is this box? It, it, there's no power living in this box. So I want us to think community. I want us to think worldwide. I want us to think of our towns and our city and other people. It's okay to bring other people into your life. Historically, when I look back at the redemptive history of God, when I look at the Bible, what's the single greatest historic event that we all have to be thankful for? <coughs> Excuse me. The fact that God the Father sent God the Son to earth. Don't let this get old. God the Father, we all deserve judgment. Yet he allowed his Son, the second person of the Trinity, to take on flesh. To give us what we didn't deserve, mercy and grace and love for eternity. Historically, I'd say God came to save the world. Let's recount that wonderful deed. That's the main deed we're recounting every week, right? When we take communion, what are we doing? We're remembering that God's son, God's son came. He didn't have to come. We didn't deserve it. There was not one. There were all sinners. People think he came for the good people. There's no good people here. You guys know that truth. There's a bunch of sinners that needed a saving God to come and die for them. Historically, I look and I say, wow, every day in my life, a season of gratitude can be remembered when I remember that historic event. Now, the people of God did this all the time. 
They gathered together to remember what God had did for them as a community. What's Passover? Does anyone know? Passover, the Jewish people, the covenant people of God in the Old Testament, they came together to remember that God had liberated them from slavery. It was a time where a community came together and recounted the wonderful deeds of God. They actually had, they pass out, and one of my favorite comedians talked about this, but Sebastian Maniscalco is a funny brother, if you haven't heard him yet. But he, his wife is um, Jewish, so they went to a Passover meal. He said, coming from an Italian family, he didn't know what to do because he was saying, when you sit down in your Italian, you get bread within three minutes. They sit down at the Passover and there's reading material that goes out. You read to remember what God has done. It's the Passover. You recount all the wonderful deeds of God. They remember that the Almighty God chose them and he sent plagues upon Egypt so they could be liberated. They remember that when the angel of death was going to take the firstborn's life, that God provided a way through the sacrifice of a lamb to have blood over the doorway so the angel of death passed over. That's why they called it the Passover. They remember that all those plagues came so God liberated them from Egypt, from the world power at that time. They remember that. They remember that when the world power chased them down, that God did something he never did and have never done since. He split the ocean so they go through. They recount all those things. They read all those things. They remember all those things and their affections turn to gratitude. When you remember what God has done for us as a community, our affections turn to gratitude. Isn't that what we're doing today? We're coming together to remember the living God, to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to remember what he's going to do upon his return. Like all those things come together. We have to recount what God has done for us historically. Then it comes to personally, right? I got to remember what God has done for me personally. How many people are quick to forget in a tough season all the things that God has done for us? They go right out the window, don't they? Man, what a tough week. We've got to remember that God saved us from the pit, as it says in the Psalms. And I want to keep bringing this up. A man said, we think the pit is like God was here. We were like at the second tear. So he just grabbed some nice people and pulled them up there with him. No, for, think about the dumpster, the garbage heap, the sinners, the undeserving. He took us from the pit and made us children of God. Think about where you were just for a moment. I mean just mentally, emotionally lost, feeling guilt, feeling shame, feeling the weight and the burdens of sin, and even feeling the fear of not knowing what life was all about. Then the Holy Spirit awakes your heart, awakens your heart to the truth of the gospel. How much gratitude does that build in us? To remember personally, and we'll get to this in the gospel assignment. I'm going to have you guys write down just some personal things you remember. Because you've got to do this in your life. When seasons are tough, you've got to recount what God has done in your life. And it helps you remember. And it helps even give you strength. You know? Like even David, who wrote these psalms, when everyone knows the story of Goliath, right? David's a teenager. He could be anywhere from 14 to 16 to 18 years old. No one else will step up to this giant man who's challenging one-on-one -on -one Philistines versus the Hebrew people. He's saying, let's go one-on-one. -on -one. Whoever wins gets the victory. He's insulting God and insulting his people. David comes by. He's dropping off cheese. He's bringing food to the soldiers. He sees someone mocking God. And what he says and what he remembers is he recounts the wonderful deeds of God. 
He said, God allowed me to slay a lion. He allowed me to slay a bear. He allowed me to slay this giant for his glory. Shall David remember how God had been victorious? He recounted the deeds of God, and that's why it built his faith. When you recount the deeds of God, it builds your faith. God has come through for me in the past. He will come through for me again. God has forgiven me of that sin. He'll forgive me of this sin. God, when I was confused before, brought clarity in my life. Over and over again, you will see the pattern of God coming through, and you need to recount that, and that will bring you strength. Amen? That's huge stuff. So both historically and personally, recount the deeds of God. The second thing you see in this psalm <clears throat> is David is not overly sentimental. <clears throat> and I want to be honest, I really think that Christianity has taken a bad sentimental turn. <clears throat> Everything is so overly sentimental and so romanticized that people don't even understand um, boundaries anymore. They don't even understand justice anymore. It becomes this pansy hippie love. Like the hippie movement came in and it changed everyone's mindset of what love was. Like love all of a sudden had no consequences. Love all of a sudden had no justice. That's not love. Love Love always demands justice. What do you hear David saying? And I want you to see the second thing that will help you be grateful in your life. Realize that God will bring judgment on the wicked. No one says that anymore. Don't you say judgment. God will bring justice and judgment on the wicked unrepenting. You'll see through this whole thing, David is talking like that. I just want to read how this thing is peppered like that. Because people would say this isn't Christ-like. But it's very Christ-like. We're made in the image of God to want justice on the wicked, on those who don't repent. And I'll get to the balance of this because there's so many questions right now. Are we supposed to love our enemies? Yes, I'll get to that and we'll talk through that. Verse 3 says, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. Verse 5 says, you have blotted out their name forever. Verse 6 says, the enemy has come to everlasting ruins. You, God, have rooted him out. <coughs> Verse 17 says, the wicked shall return to Sheol, which means the grave. All the nations that forget God. That's not a pansy gospel. That's not a pansy truth. You need to understand that you can't have love without justice. You can't have love without justice. It's okay to want every human trafficker to suffer the wrath of God if they do not repent. I'm grateful for that. It's okay to want every person who hurts a child to suffer the wrath of God if they do not repent. I'm grateful for that. It's okay for every person who's persecuting Christians right now and beheading Christians, I want God to crush them. If they don't repent, you should be grateful for that. Because there's going to be circumstances in your life where you're going to say, this ain't just. This isn't just. And it's going to make you want to complain. But then you remember, okay, if there's no repentance, God's going to get them. <laughs> Serious. No one's out there like, does he want God to get me? No. I pray for ye. God's going to get all the people who oppose him. All the people who oppose him, he's going to crush them. Why did that? Should that feel good when I say that? I don't know. Is that wrong? I don't know. i got to work through some stuff. We've been built as image bearers of God. He's given us a sense of justice. So just give you an example in Boston, right? When the marathon bombing happened, and they caught the second person 
who was guilty of planning and executing those bombings that killed innocent people and maimed people and hurt people and terrorized people. When they caught the second person, people lined in the streets on Brookline Ave and Fenway Street, they lined up to cheer in gratitude. They praised the law enforcement because they had brought these men to justice. Did anyone who saw the footage or realized that happened say that's wrong? No. How could that be wrong? That was justice. That was justice and the wicked were brought to justice. And there was gratitude and cheering in the streets. That's how we are in this culture. We want justice. We should want justice. And we should be thankful in our lives, going through any season, that God will bring justice on the wicked. When I look at globally what's going on, I find hope. And I become grateful that God will judge all the wicked. That's heavy stuff, isn't it? I'll, I'll tell a light, lighter thing when we get to the third point. But people never think about this. So when I just said there was a bombing and there was terror... In our minds, which it should have, we went, that's ultimate wickedness. It should have. That was ultimate wickedness, killing innocent people like that, maiming people and doing that, right? What we don't realize is also, in God's reality, what's the first commandment? This is going to be heavy. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods. I'm a jealous God. We don't feel the weight that this world is filled with people who are worshiping other gods and they will be judged. We don't feel the weight of that. We tell people, believe in what you believe, make your own God, this is okay. We don't feel the weight of David when he says, they'll go down to the grave, all those who forget God. Because we don't understand this. We're not God. We don't understand the seriousness that God created this earth that God offered a way to salvation, that God made us to be in relationship with him. And when you don't recognize him for his love, when you oppose him, when you choose to give your affection to another God, our gods, we don't understand the depth of that sin and that reality. We don't understand that. But David says, I'm thankful that every person who forgot who you are God will be judged. Let's go to something lighter because I let that sit for a little bit. So we recount the wonderful deeds of God. We become grateful that God will judge all wickedness. And thirdly, we sing. We sing. So when I was 19 or 20 years old, um, we sing in gratitude. When I was 19 or 20 years old, I got an apartment with a few of my buddies. And uh, there was about three or four of my buddies. And one day... I called in sick, so my buddy thought he was the only one home. And he loved pizza English muffins. So I heard singing through the house. He was singing to his pizza English muffins. And I said, this can't be real right here. I'm both uncomfortable and intrigued. I don't want to let him know I'm in the house. This brother was breaking it down like, I'm coming for you. Like he was like, I love my English muffins. And I was like, this can't be real. This man would be so ashamed. And he's about to be ashamed knowing that I'm in the house. 
The reason I tell this story, some of you are like, man, I've seen my food in my house, but maybe you don't. I was like, man, i got to tell him that I'm here. So I told him he was embarrassed, all this kind of stuff. The reason I tell you that story is our heart naturally sings for the things we're thankful for, whether English, English muffins or whatever. I'm telling you. Naturally, God made us to sing and to respond and to rejoice, so we sing about the things we're grateful for. Like, it's so funny in our society, like, you bring someone to the Red Sox game, people just singing out of King, Sweet Caroline, <laughs> Who doesn't sing that song? Who says, man, I can't sing, so I need to sing this No one. We sing that song, Stupid Sweet Caroline, and don't even think about it, wasn't that awesome? <laughs> we go to concerts. When Billy Joel, Piano Man, comes on, everyone's singing Piano Man. No one's thinking about it. Sing it again, and I'll sing with you. When we're singing um, the national anthem, everyone sings it, right? Those who love our country, you sing it. But when it comes to church, something happens. People are like, Why is that? Because David, peppered through this whole psalm, talks about singing. This is a song he's writing. He's singing about crushing people's head. God's going to crush your head. He's singing these things out with gratitude. We have to learn to sing both personally and corporately to enjoy the season of gratitude. And what's the first thing you hear? I can't sing. I won't sing. You don't want me to sing. The church is one of the only places where God calls everyone who can sing in and out of key, good and horribly, loud and soft, to sing together to God in gratitude for what he has done. We need to sing because it's not about you. Once again, I talked about that box. People always say going to church is like going to the gym. Going to church is not like going to the gym. You go to the gym for yourself. Try to get that beach body going. I'm on the JC plan right now. He's got me working on all body pots. I'm doing that for myself because I, I want to try to stay in shape. People say going to church, is it's not. Because church is not about you. Church is not about you. We've made it about ourselves. Church is about God. And let me give you an example. Your kid's having a birthday party. Who's the birthday party for? Your kid. When it comes time to sing happy birthday, who says, I'm just going to be introspective. Just for me. No, you sing to make the person feel special. Who doesn't sing at the kid's birthday party? Because it's not about you, it's about the kid. You're singing for them. You're singing to make them feel special. When we come here, we're singing for God. He's far above, he's worthy of praise. We're singing to exalt him and to lift him up. And the benefit is, we feel great. Do you guys hear me? Singing's not about you. You don't come here to be quiet. Or you don't just wait for Hosanna. Every time Hosanna's plays here, everyone sings, This is my jam. You don't just sing your favorite song. You don't sing one song every two and a half months. You sing every song because God is worthy and it's not about you. Did you guys hear that? David wasn't singing just for himself. He was singing because God was worthy. And he was singing in a season of gratitude, even though he was going 
through affliction. One of the most important things I ever learned in my life. So when I was 19 or 20 years old, <coughs> I really started following Jesus, as you guys know. And I picked up a guitar and I started learning just basic chords, mostly just playing by myself and learning things. But <coughs> well, what was great is how much it enhanced my prayer life. It changed the game. Because I come, I was going through my apprentice years of becoming an electrician, and those are dog days. Those are just dog days. You go to work, no one respects you, get the wire, get the bolt cutters, get, and you come home and just say, I don't want to live this life. But I used to grab my guitar, sometimes in key, sometimes out of key. And I just get on that guitar and I sing my simple songs to Jesus. And it made me realize I was in a season of gratitude. And that's why I'm telling you, there's people who are musical here, there's people who are not musical here. You still need to sing to God, whether it's in your car. So always corporately. And today we better be lifting one up. But always corporately. But personally, we've got to learn to sing songs to God in gratitude. Thankful to him. Your voices were made, most of all, to lift your voice to God. And so that's one way that we show gratitude is singing. Singing is the natural response of a heart that is grateful. And I want to talk to us as a community. Worshipful song is a natural response of people who know the gospel. When a church gets the gospel, where they worship, it's filled with praise. Because people's hearts are so overflowing with gratitude that they can't even contain it. And they lift the voice to God. Fear a man goes out the window. What people think you go out the window. Your presence go out the window. And you're saying, God is worthy. And this is about him. And you lift your voice. And we were made to do that. You guys hear me? And I always say this. When we do what we were made to do, you will never be more joyful. You never be more joyful. When you live your life in gratitude to God, you will learn to enjoy God in that season of gratitude for your whole life. Amen? Just one assignment before I let you go. On um, the gospel assignment, it, uh, I want you guys, and if you don't have a prayer journal yet, please get a prayer journal. Please take this seriously. Please let's do this as a people. Um, I want you to look at history, biblical history, and thank God for something that he did. It could be the cross. It could be any story that really hits you. Thank him historically for what he's done. Secondly, personally, I want you to write down at least five things in your prayer journal that you are thankful that God personally did for you. Five things. To recount. Let's start getting the habits of recounting the wonderful deeds of God. Third, and you guys are going to love this one. When you're alone, I want you to sing a song of gratitude to Jesus. Do it. And maybe some of you already do that. I want you to start singing to God in your prayer life. Now, the song could be as long as you want. It can be what style of music you want. But I want you to lift your voice to God because I want us to start cultivating a church that we're singing in our private life. And so when we come together as a church, our voices just ring up and bless the heart of God and move the heart of God, and he's exalted in this place. Amen?